we're looking at the four principles again, and f- the, the last time, but hopefully it's uh, etched indelibly in your hearts by now. Um, number one, God is what, everybody? God is love. Over and over and over again. You know what I love about the conflict series um, from the spirit of prophecy, beginning with patriarchs and prophets, prophets and kings, desire of ages, acts of the apostles, and then the great controversy is that the first words of patriarchs and prophets is God is love. And then the last words of great controversy is God is love. And everything in between there is the revealing of God's love throughout human history and his interaction with sinful human beings. And uh, what a wonderful God we serve. Amen? God is love, folks. And I hope, that that, I hope that that just flows in your heart and flows out of you to others. Um, the whole Bible is to be our what? The whole Bible is to be our guide. And uh, beloved, uh, let the word be your guide. Let the word be your guide. I was listening to a very popular evangelist last night. How many of you uh, have heard or know C.D. Brooks? And C.D. Brooks, uh, you know, um, used to be the speaker, director of The Breath of Life, and now he's sleeping in Jesus. But I, re- I watched a, vi- um, a video last night as I was holding the two babies, <laughs> and it was two preachers that quit going to church, and he was talking about how both the Old and the New Testament um, have been shrouded in darkness, and even in Christianity um, to some extent. But uh, we need the whole Bible to be our guide. And then, of course, number three, the Bible cannot what? Contradict itself. The Bible cannot contradict itself. Contradiction may be in our own minds, but this is why we need the Holy Spirit to help us um, to understand. You know, if there's ever a passage or verse that we're having difficulty with um, that seems to be contradictory, just understand this. The Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever ever go contrary to the word that he inspired and he will never lead or guide you to do anything that will go contrary to the word okay um and then number four it's always important for us to read everything in what context okay context the who the what the when the where and the why so let's go and i want to i really want to thank my my dear friend uh pastor ken your your pastor and by the way i believe with all my heart that uh that you have a man of God in your midst, and uh, you ought to be lifting him up in prayer along with his wife Brenda and their family constantly. Um, you know, it's, it's important for the church family to lift up their pastor in prayer. Would you say amen? amen. You've got to pray for him. You've got to pray for him, okay? So I would like to encourage you to continue to do that. Lift him up in prayer and his family. In search of the church, in search of the church. And I praise God that at least for most, if not all of you, that search has come to an end. <laughs> but for many out there who are still in search of the church, uh, the Bible gives us, the Bible gives us um, ample evidence of God's true church in these last days. And there needs to be no guesswork or trying to figure out which church to go to. I mean, we can look at it another way. Why are there so many denominations? If there's only one Bible, then why are there so many different churches and different denominations and different faiths, right? 
Um, but we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Please notice what it says on the inside cover of your study guide. Legend has it that Sp Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon discovered Florida in 1513 while he was searching for the legendary fountain of youth. I want to tell you that so far I have not found that fountain myself. <laughs> and my legs are telling me that tonight. The fountain of youth. The fountain of youth was said to miraculously restore the youth, youthfulness of any person who drank from its waters. While it might be exciting to think of discovering the fountain of youth or something as remarkable as Atlantis, many people would be satisfied if they could only find the right church, a church faithfully teaching the truths of the Bible. With numerous churches in existence, does it matter which church you belong to? And does God have a church for this time. Please notice question number one. Does it matter if a person attends church? Does it matter if a person attends church? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, the Bible says, not forsaking the what? The assembling of ourselves. What's that next word? Together. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much, listen, and so much the more as you see the what? The day approaching. So now listen, folks, now is not the time to, to, you know, go off into our own little bands and to our own. Now is the time, the Bible says, that when you see the day approaching, and whenever you hear that term, the day approaching, it's speaking about the return of Jesus Christ, okay? But it's saying that we need to come together. We need, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What the Bible teaches from the very beginning, if you haven't noticed already, and I'm sure all of you are very intelligent people, you would discover that God has always had, I mean, one of the components that God has placed into human beings is this social aspect. Isn't that right? We're social beings. And so what God wants us to understand is that not only do we need God, we also need each other. Would you say amen? We need each other. So we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We should come together more often like this, whether it be in our homes in small groups or meeting in the church in small groups. That's what Sabbath school is also about, coming together in the small groups and, and, and studying the Word of God together, praying together, fellowshipping, having meals together. And beloved, I want to share with you that this is something, this is why, this is what community is about. Community is about. It's about fellowship and coming together more and assembling ourselves together. Now I understand, please don't misunderstand um, what I'm going to say here, but we're living in a day and age now where a lot of people have this notion or idea that they don't need to be a part of a church body or a part of a church per se, that it's just okay for them to sit home and listen to YouTube preachers all day long. Now there's nothing wrong with listening to preachers on YouTube but there's something that's special about coming together as a church family. There's a dynamic there that just can't be replaced. Would you say amen? And do you know that somebody in here is always blessed by your presence? <laughs> I'm blessed by all of you. The fact that you're here tonight and every night that we've been together, I'm blessed by that. You have blessed me tremendously. And so, I mean, let me ask you. When you come to church on Sabbath or whenever you come together, prayer meeting or whenever, whenever you come together, isn't there always somebody that you see that blesses you just by simply being there? 
their presence? Yeah. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible examples that God's people gather together for worship and fellowship, as well as for the purpose of unitedly working to share the gospel with the world. Question number two, did Jesus believe people should belong to a church? Did Jesus believe people should belong to a church? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Bible says, on this rock, on this rock, Jesus speaking of himself, I will build my what? I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus faithfully attended church every Sabbath. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. The Bible here makes it very clear Jesus faithfully attended church every Sabbath, Luke 4, 16. He made it clear that his intention was that he would build a church. It is hard to imagine that Jesus would establish a church he would not want people to be a part of. That he would not want people to be a part of. And beloved, I want to share with you that even though the Bible does say that Christ, as his custom was, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, I want you to know that Christ didn't just spend all of his time in church. Christ was also actively engaged in ministry and ministering to folks in the community and those outside of the church. And let me, let me just put, the, put it this way as well. How many of you here, if you knew that coming to church Sabbath after Sabbath, that somebody in here wanted to kill you, how many of you would keep coming to church? Yeah, wanted to kill you. Okay, I'm going to let that, I'm gonna let that sit in there, Carolyn. But if you knew, like I'm saying, if you came to church and you knew that there were, let me just, not, not just one person, but that there were persons in that congregation that wanted to kill you or put you to death, how many of you would still come to church? Oh, praise the Lord. What if it's not the leadership? What if it's just members too? Yeah. So let me ask you, were there attempts on Jesus' life when he went to church? Did people want to put him to death? Were they plotting his death? Did that keep him from going to church? You know why? Because first and foremost, first and foremost, there would be nothing, nothing anyone can do that would sever his relationship between himself and his father. Would you say Amen. And so first and foremost, when we come to church, it's because we're, we want to have communion and fellowship with God. We want to have communion and fellowship with our Father. And nothing, no one is able to sever or able to, you know, distract us from that. But, but also, Christ also knew that by his presence, not everyone wanted him dead, but that there would also be people there who would be blessed simply by his presence. That's why it's so important for us when we come here to gather on Sabbath morning, we're, we're here to bless people, we're here to pray with people, we're here to be with our family and to have communion, folks. We are to come together. God wants us to come together as his church and his body. Please notice question number three. Did Jesus establish a church in this world before he went to heaven? Please notice what it says in Acts chapter 9 verse 31. The Bible says, the Bible says, the what? The churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, 
they were what? Multiplied. Wouldn't that be pretty cool if it could be said of us, the churches throughout all of Washington (laughs) had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. After Jesus died, the church multiplied and grew and was used by God to share light and blessing with the world. So Jesus did establish his church in this world before he went to heaven. Let's go to question number four. Did the disciples work to establish a particular church? Please notice what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 47. Acts 2 verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to the what? To the church daily those who were being saved. Although it did not have a denominational name, the disciples labored to build up Christ's church. It was an organized church described as the body of Christ, Colossians 1 verse 18, which people became part of through the ordinance of baptism, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. Church, Christ's church had deacons and elders and sent out missionaries. Jesus established an organized church. Would you say amen? Well, now let me, let me just share this here too while I'm on it before this point eludes me. Who set up the church of the Old Testament? God did. Didn't he organize Israel? Right? He organized Israel. He gave them their systems of of worships and sacrifices and things like that. God organized Israel. Who organized the early church? God did. God did. But now, Larry... We, we, have, we have a conundrum here because we see that God raised up both organizations. He's the one responsible for organizing both the church in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. But here's the major difference. Here's the major difference. The church in the Old Testament, while raised up by God to be the depositaries of his law and to share his light among those of the other nations around them, they failed to do that. In fact, what they did was the exact opposite. They built up walls between themselves and everyone else and hoarded the oracles of God and hoarded the truth of God. And as a result of that, beloved, God could not use them anymore, so much so that Jesus himself said that your house, which used to be my house, is now desolate and is left to you. And beloved, I want to share with you that what happened was they forgot about the meaning of all the stuff that God had blessed them with, the oracles, the laws, the rituals, the sacrifices, and who they pointed to, that it was all about Jesus, and that it was all about sharing about the coming Messiah. But as a result of not focusing on the mission and instead being so caught up in the institution and the rituals and all these things, they lost sight of the mission, and God could no longer use that people. Now, do you know what the early church did? The early church was flipped. It flipped. They were actually carrying out what God had intended for the Old, Tur- the Old Testament church to look like. Because now they were mission-minded, they were focused on the mission of Christ, and because they were out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they had all things in common, because they went from house to house breaking bread, continuing in the, in the apostles' doctrines, and bringing people to Christ, beloved, I want to share with you that that's the reason why the early church experienced such an explosion. Because even though they too were an institution and they too were organized, they were focused on the right thing, which was on the mission of 
Christ. Would you say amen? amen? But now let me ask you this. Do we as a church today, are we in danger of repeating what happened with the Old Testament church and also losing our way in the New Testament church? Or does God want to bring a revival of primitive godliness back to the church and thereby the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in latter rain power and instead of focusing solely on what the institution and all the traditions and customs that even we as Seventh-day Adventists hold dear in our church, is it possible that God wants to pour out his spirit upon a people who are focused on the mission of Jesus Christ to reach this community and the world for him? Although it did not have a denominational name, the disciples labored to build up Christ's church. It was an organized church described as the body of Christ. Let's go to question number five. How did the Apostle Paul describe the church? How did the Apostle Paul describe the church? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what he says. I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice what it, notice what it is. The pillar and the ground of what? Ground of the, of the truth. And the ground of the truth. The Bible is clear that God's church would be characterized by a commitment to teaching his truth. Not traditions, not customs, or man-made doctrines. Beloved, I want to share with you that we, that's why it's so important to keep on going with the word of God. And the reason why I brought up those two examples is this. Not that there's anything wrong with organization, right? We ought to be organized. Isn't that right, everybody? Do we agree? We ought to be organized. We ought to have structure. But when those things begin to take preeminence and, you know, and, and precedence in our lives and where we lose sight of the mission, where we're no longer reaching out to people, where we're no longer sharing the gospel, where we're no longer out there meeting the needs of people, then folks, that, that's where we have an issue. That's where the problem comes in. We're so focused on trying to keep things the way we want them. <laughs> I mean, what, what would happen, and I, I think Pastor shared this with us, and I, man, I thought it was beautiful. He said, well, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I agree. What would happen if the Holy Spirit just all of a sudden shows up in Sabbath school class and you're just having such an engaging discussion that people's hearts are being broken and, and people are having a, an honest and, and, and frank conversation and just being open and you can sense the Holy Spirit working in the Sabbath school? Why would we then say, okay, the bell rings, it's time for you. I know the Holy Spirit's there, but it's time because we got a time, we got a program that we need to keep. But if the Holy Spirit is moving, Ron, in that instance, then why, why not let it spill over, even if it spills over into divine service time? <laughs> after all, after all, it's the Holy Spirit that's working, and let him continue to do his work, right? But no, we hear that bell, and I mean, people are just so engaged, and man, they're into it, and all of a sudden, they got to quit, and it's because we think that we must have a sermon by the pastor every single Sabbath. Do you know that the servant of the Lord says that Jesus spent less time sermonizing and most of his time ministering to the people? That's why this, Brother Scott, this has to balance out for me. I love being here 
Don't get me wrong, I love being here, Larry, preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with you, but during the week, I've got to balance it out. I've got to go out and meet with folks in the community. I've got to go out and meet those who are in need. I've got to go and meet my family who are desperately in need of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I just can't spend all my time preparing sermons for Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, although that's nice. I want to be out there among the people doing what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. <laughs> I hope I'm not going to get pastor in trouble for mentioning that. Um, Question number six. Question number six. And I'm sorry that I'm doing it on the last topic of the last evening. You know, we evangelists uh, have a way of hitting and running um, and then leaving the pastor to clean up all the the mess afterwards. But... um, Let's go with what symbol is used in the Bible to represent a church. Please notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate what, everybody? Woman. Okay? To a, to a lovely and delicate woman. The Bible is clear that God's church will be characterized by a commitment to teaching his truth, not traditions, customs, or man-made doctrines. Throughout the Bible, a woman symbolically represents a church. A pure woman represents God's true church. An impure woman represents an impure church. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2, Revelation 17, verses 1 through 6. Why belong to a church? Why belong to a church? There are key, four key benefits of being involved in a church. The church can enhance your spiritual journey. You can encourage others in their spiritual journey. The church community and organization enables a more effective sharing of the gospel. You'll experience the blessing and benefits of community. Being part of a faith community offers significant spiritual, emotional, and social advantages. Let's go to question number seven. What special characteristics will the church of the last days possess? What special characteristics will the church of the last days possess? The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the what? Commandments of God and have what else? The testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ, and we know that according to Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 14, 12, here are those who keep the what? The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, okay? God's end-time church will be characterized by faith in God and obedience to him. These characteristics have always been present in those who have faithfully followed the God of the Bible. In Genesis 26, 5, God said of Abraham, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God is seeking to prepare a group of people who are ready to spend eternity with him. Are you ready to spend eternity with him? Praise the Lord. Let's go to question number eight. How is God's true church described in the book of Revelation? Please notice, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the what? With the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 what? Stars. Stars. Notice that all of that light is natural light that comes from God. Okay, Revelation 12 depicts a pure church clothed with the beauty of nature and reflecting light to the world. However, God's church would have a difficult experience throughout human history. Now, let's go to question number nine. How has Satan especially targeted God's church? Revelation 12, verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the what? The woman who gave birth to the male child. The devil knows the most effective way to hurt Jesus is to hurt those 
he loves. The early Christian church suffered greatly at the hands of pagan Rome. Enormous numbers of people were martyred. But instead of destroying God's church, persecution became the catalyst for growth. The Christian character in life and death was such a powerful witness that others were inspired to join the Christian church. The early Christian writer Tertullian is quoted as having said, The blood of the martyrs is seed that is the seed of the church. Realizing that persecution would not achieve his aim of destroying the Christian church, the devil changed his tactics and resorted to corrupting the Christian church, bringing about its ruin from the inside out. Okay? So, what happened to the Christian church during the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages? Please notice 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the second coming, will not come unless the what? Falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. After the first 300 years or so of Christianity, the truths of God's word were obscured by tradition and false teaching. When persecution was reintroduced, multitudes who would, who would not yield to the authority of the ruling church were banished or killed. Okay? So there must be a falling away first, a falling away falling away from truth, or falling away from God's word, or falling away spiritually. What did the true church do during times of persecution? Please notice Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. Revelation 12, verse 6, the Bible says, The woman fled where? Into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God. Revelation 12, verse 14, The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is what? Nourished. Okay? In many parts of Europe, faithful believers in the Bible were forced to flee to remote wilderness areas where they, could have, where they could live their faith in God in some safety. In these areas, church members could still meet together, worship, and study the Bible. It is important to know that God's church was still, was still in existence during these times, but not as an official mainstream organization. The church was in the wilderness it was comprised of groups of people who remained faithful to God at the risk of persecution and death. And we think of the Waldenses and, and many others that fled to the mountains and lived among and lived in the wilderness or in the mountains. And we also know that the Bible is going to continue to tell us how else God helped out his true church and uh, opened up the earth. Notice what it says, how long will, would God's true church remain in the wilderness? The woman fled, according to Revelation 12, verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there, how long? 1,260 days. Revelation 12, 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And this morning I mentioned that during our time together, right? Um, and so I'm not going to take too much time there. We know that uh, time is 360 times is 720, and then half a times is 180. It all comes out to 1,260 days or 1,260 years. And so the church um, went into hiding during the reign of the beast power, which stretched from AD 538 to 1798. Prior to the fall of the papacy, a movement began that brought reformation to the Christian church. We're talking about men like Martin Luther and, and Huss and Jerome and, and, and Zwingli and, and uh, many others that, that led a reformation. This reformation, it says here, 
Um, the Bible was translated into the common language and people understood the gospel of Jesus and Bible prophecy. After the darkness of tradition and error, the light of the gospel began to shine. The slow process of exiting the wilderness had begun. As the light of the word of God began to shine brighter and brighter in the world, churches emerged that built on the truths taught by earlier churches. The spirit of the Reformation continued throughout the world until God's church was established for the last days, a church that returned to all the original teachings of the Christian church. Let's go to question 13. What is the devil's attitude towards God's church in the last days? Revelation 12 and 17, we've read this before. The dragon was what, everybody? Wroth or enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The devil is especially angry with the rest of her offspring called the remnant in the King James Version, the church of the last days. The devil will do his best to deceive and discourage as many of God's people as possible because he knows that time is short and that this is a war that he will ultimately lose. So let's just look at the lesson study real quickly and go through the identifying marks of God's final church. Question 14. What are the, the identifying marks of God's final church? Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, the dragon was the rest of her offspring who keep the what? They keep the commandments of God and have what else? The testimony of Jesus Christ. The rest or remnant is the final church that represents Jesus Christ and his truth in the closing moments prior to the return of Jesus. So we understand that remnant, of course, those of you that uh, like to go to the fabric store or to the carpet, get a carpet, you know that remnant re talks about the remainder or the last part, but there's always been an original piece that that little piece was a part of. So God's faithful people has always been there throughout history and throughout all the ages and throughout time. And now we're coming down to the very last times of earth's history and the period of earth's history. And God, history and God will have a faithful remnant people in this final day. Would you say amen? And God wants us to be a part of it. And by the way, God is not being exclusive in any, in any way. In fact, God is always inclusive. He wants to save as many as possible, if not all. But we know that all of us have a choice in the matter. And we all, beloved, um, want to make the right choice. And that is to be among God's faithful remnant people. To some that sounds exclusive. But I want to share with you that that is just how the Bible puts it. Because there are going to be a final group of people at the end that are faithful to God. And I want you to notice it says God has provided a number of clear characteristics to enable us to easily identify this church. It will rise after A.D. 1798. In the wilderness until 1798, the end of the 1,260 years of papal supremacy, the church would emerge from obscurity to a global representation of God's love and truth. It will believe the original teachings of the Christian church. Jesus as a remnant of material in the end is the end piece of cloth, the same color and pattern as the original. God's final church will teach the same message as the original Christian church. It will be a global movement. God's church will, pro will proclaim his final message to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It will proclaim the everlasting gospel. Would you say Amen. The everlasting gospel, the everlasting gospel found in Revelation 14 presents several key teachings. Fear God, give glory to him. The hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is a call to worship the creator God. Babylon is fallen. 
Do not worship the beast or receive the mark of the beast. It believes and keeps all of God's commandments, including the seventh-day Sabbath. It will teach that death is a, peaceful, is a peaceful rest that lasts until the resurrection. Would you say amen? Then in your study guide it says, but what about, and they have these questions, what about all the hypocrites in the church? <laughs> what about all the hypocrites in the church? So many people who are not very Christ-like claim to be Christians. Okay? Every church is made up of people, and people are far from perfect. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Would you say amen? It has been said that the church is a hospital for sinners. Hospital for sinners. So welcome to the other hospital here in Enumclaw. That's why I'm here. Welcome to the hospital. And folks, I want to share with you that when we start to really get serious about this as far as the community and reaching out to people, telling you God's going to send our way people that are, I mean, with some serious baggage. And if, and, and if I'm sitting here in the church with them, I just say, well, come along and take a seat right next to this other sinner who needs Jesus just as much, if not more, than you do. Come and join the rest of us sinners who need Jesus. Would you say amen? Okay, I mean, this is a hospital, folks. This is a hospital. Um, and while that does not excuse unchristian un behavior, it does help us understand that no church is going to be a perfect church. So if you're, you, if you're looking for some type of uh, utopia, um, and, and, you know, we, we have people, you know, we used to, there's something that we used to call in the days when I was in the world, club hopping. Going from club to club, looking for the next party. There are a lot of people who are church hopping. And, and, and let me just share with you that if, you, if you're constantly doing that, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, and I'm, and I'm not saying it's always the case, but just maybe we need to take a look at ourselves and say, man, maybe it's not the church. Maybe the issue is with me. Maybe I'm not as spiritually strong as I would like to think I am. And so therefore, you know, why do I keep hopping from church to church seeking for this perfect church? I want to let you know that God has you perfectly situated where you currently are. Um, and remember, Christians are not, are not called to be followers of other Christians. Praise be to God. <laughs> Woo, praise be to God for that. I remember Brett the other night said, man, Nehemiah said, I want to I follow you and be just like you. I said, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> you don't want to be like me, Brett. You want to be like Jesus. Um, but followers of Jesus, Jesus is our example in all things. A person who stays out of the church because of poor example of others is an easy target for Satan. But how can I leave my church? It is a good church, and I'm confident God led me to it. God may have well led you to the church you currently attend. However, the question is, does he want you to stay there? In the same way, your parents may have led you to elementary school, but their intention was not that you would stay there forever. There comes a time when we go to more advanced learning and greater opportunities in the world. God often calls people to move on from the church they attend, not because the church is a bad church, but because God wants people to continue to advance and grow in their faith in him and understanding of the Bible to share greater truth with others. Okay? Let me move on. Um... G, it says it will believe in the words of the prophets and in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the, the gift of prophecy. The only church organization in the world today that fulfills each of these identifying characteristics is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
And I don't say that with any, you know, again, um, not in a boastful way, but with all humility. I'm just thankful that God has called this movement, right, to come about at the time that it did to share the everlasting gospel with the world. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, founded in 1863, the Seventh-day Adventist Church grew out of a sincere desire to know and follow Jesus according to the Word of God. Building on the biblical understandings of the Reformers, the Adventist Church is the only global organization presenting the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14. Just as the Bible presents faith in Jesus as the only means of salvation and obedience to God's commandments as a fruit of faith in Jesus, the Seventh-day Adventist Church teaches that Jesus will soon return to, take, to this world and take his faithful children home to heaven. Committed to Christ's commission to take the gospel to all, it is a church that believes in sharing Jesus with the world. Would you say amen? Let's go. How many church organizations does Jesus desire to have on this earth? Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says there is, there is what? One body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Rather than a multitude of various churches presenting a wide range of differing, differing messages, God is seeking to bring his people together, united in the truths of his word. Let's go to question number 16. Final question for this evening. God describes the confused system of religion in the last days as Babylon. What invitation does Jesus make to those outside his final church? Revelation 18, verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my what? My people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be what, everybody? One flock and one what? And one shepherd. I'm not going to cover the fall of Babylon. I, I really did want to cover that one as well. But, you know, let me just summarize and, and, and tie up everything that we just studied from last night to tonight. You know, the Bible gives us many examples of what we're seeing that's going to happen, not just in our present day, but in the future when it comes to how Things are going to come to a head and how the great controversy is going to wrap up. But one of the things that we, that we see, one of the examples I'd like to share with you that's found in Scripture there. You had Herod who took his brother's wife, Herodias, and she had a daughter named Salome. Right? Herod represents the political power. Herodias represents the apostate church. And she had a daughter named Salome. Now I want you to notice something here that's very, that's very interesting. Did you know that Herodias had to get the power of the king and she used her daughter to seduce him to bring about the demise and the death of John the Baptist. Do you see, do you see, that, do you see that, that symbolism there? So what we have here, what we have is we have, we, have, we have the political party, which is King Herod, and then we have the apostate church or the apostate woman, Herodias, and she has a daughter that works together with her to try to draw the power of the authority of the, of the political 
king in order to put to death God's faithful servant. I want to share with you that that is a direct parallel to what is going to happen in the final days. When Babylon, according to Revelation chapter 17, is going to enlist, I mean, all, all we're seeing here in Revelation is going to enlist the power of that second beast in Revelation chapter 13, and the image of the beast will be formed. And what happens also, though, is that she has, according to Revelation 17, the Bible says that Babylon, that she has daughters. And that her daughters are going to come back and they're going to also be a part of bringing about this unholy unity, if you will. And they're going to try to destroy God's end time people. But praise be to God that God himself will be our shield. He will be our buckler. He will be our defense. And he will be there to deliver his people. Would you say amen? And so I just wanted to share that with you since I'm not going to cover the fall of Babylon. But I want, to sh I want to tell you right now that there are many people who are, there are, many people who are, who are drunk and who are in a state of confusion because that's what Babylon means. And we, beloved, have been entrusted with the word of God that will help people to become sober and to see the truth. And to, and to fall in love with Jesus and his word. And so, beloved, I want to share with you that we are in, sitting right now in God's, as a part of God's true church. But God's not finished yet. There are still many more, many more, many more people out there that God wants to add to his church. Would you say amen? And at some point, listen, at some point. In closing, at some point, even when the organization and structure comes down, <laughs> God's people all over the earth will be faithful. I, I encourage you, read that chapter in Great Controversy called The Final Warning where she speaks in the last few paragraphs that there's going to be a showdown between God's people and, and those who, those who uh, are pushing for the mark of the beast. And she, she mentioned something very powerful there, Larry. She says all the literature distribution that has taken place in years past have now sprouted up and, and seeds have, I mean, and, and uh, fruit has come forth from it. And she says all those that have been, that have been holding on to family relations and church relations and everything that kept them from Christ now will take their stand on the Lord's side. So you're not wasting your time. By going out to the community, doing these Bible studies, passing out literature, handing out tracts, Bible studies, whatever it may be, you may not see immediate fruit, but please understand that the Holy Spirit is at work and there will be a great number of people who will take their stand on the Lord's side when it comes down to it. Would you say amen? amen? I'm looking forward to that. Are you thankful that you're a part of God's amen. remnant church? Amen. amen. Amen, and so am I. And so my final appeal tonight is that we will remain part of God's end time church, his last day church, but that we will not keep these truths and the word of God to ourselves and that we will continue to lift up Jesus
so that he will be the attraction and that he will draw men and women and boys and girls to him. I mean, if you're excited about what you're a part of, how could we not share this with others so that they too can get excited about it? I know that none of us as Adventists gamble, but I want to tell you something that if you ever won the mega lotto, I'm pretty sure that you would not, I mean, I'm pretty sure you'd be jumping up for joy and not keeping quiet. You might, you might, you might find yourself on a far off island somewhere and try to live in isolation <laughs> or something, but may I tell you, this is even greater than all the lottos in the world put together. Would you say amen? Being a part of God's kingdom. So if you want to say, Lord, thank you for calling me to be a part of your church and now help me, Lord, to go and do the same with others. Help me to share the gospel. Help me to share Jesus and your word with others. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close with, with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for our time together. And I can say, Lord, with certainty that it definitely, definitely was well worth it. To study the word together, to pray together, to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to to help us, Lord, to grow in the grace of Jesus, Lord, and to understand how much we need you, how much we need to be in your word, how much we need to be in prayer, how much we need to come together more as a church family to pray and to allow you, Lord, to use us for the furtherance of your gospel. Father, I pray for every single member of the Enumclaw Church family. I pray for Pastor Ken and his wife, Brenda. I lift up their family, their children. I pray for his grandchildren. I pray that you will also be with the leadership here at Enumclaw. I pray that you will be with every family. I pray that you will be with the young people, the young adults, the youth, the children, the little ones. I pray that you will be with our elderly. Please, dear God, we're just so thankful and grateful that you have called us to be a part of your remnant church of these last days to also go out and to share this beautiful message with others so that they too may come to know you and be saved in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for the communities of Enumclaw and the surrounding communities, Buckley and, and Auburn and Black Diamond and some of these other communities that are around this community. I pray, dear God, that you would reach out through your people in the community and that people may come to know and to see and to hear and to experience Jesus like never before. Bless us, Lord, and keep us Help us to be faithful all the way to the end so that we can hear those words come from your lips. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over little things, and now I have made you ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. Father, we look forward to spending eternity with you and with one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.